Arcaporia. Yeah, but my name is Vivian Gabor, and uh, besides the fact that I have a very strange voice today due to the best allergies in the world, it's so great. I'm loving spring this year. Uh, I am very excited to welcome my guest today. Uh, If you have ever seen, which you should have, the Capitol Hill series on YouTube, um, a new film called Potato Dreams of America... Uh, we have an amazing filmmaker and person. Uh, everyone, please welcome. It's Wes Hurley. Hello. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course, it's completely my pleasure. I've wanted to have you on the podcast for forever. And I finally, you know, got around to actually getting my act <laughs> Thank you. How are things over in Seattle right now? Uh, it's nice. The weather still can decide if it's winter or spring or summer or what, but otherwise it's nice. <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's start, let's start right off. And um, I, I kind of want to know, so um, I got a chance to watch your film a little bit and it's incredible. Good job. Oh, amazing, you. amazing, amazing movie. Um, but outside of that because I know it's an it's a autobiographical film um outside of that though I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about like uh how you came to be in Seattle and how you um came to be who you are now kind of a deal so a little bit of background yeah so I um I came to Seattle um when I was 16 um, straight from Russia, where I'm from, um, from the far east of Russia, Vladivostok, which is next to China and North Korea and Japan. <laughs> and um, yeah, fell in love with Seattle right away. It was an amazing experience. I just loved coming to, to America in general, but especially Seattle. Seattle in the 90s was really fun, late 90s. Um, yeah, finished high school here in Seattle, went to University of Washington, where I studied theater and interdisciplinary art, mostly painting, and always knew that I wanted to make films. So I sort of gradually taught myself how to do everything, <laughs> edit and film and hold a microphone and all of that, and slowly grew this sort of creative family around me of collaborators that work with me on every project. So yeah, it's been a sort of a steady incremental journey to bigger and bigger projects for me. What was what was the inspiration for starting making film? Like where did that that love come from? Yeah, I I I, I remember as I mean as long as I lived, I feel like I wanted to make movies. I don't remember having like a specific moment where I knew that's what I wanted to do but I, I, as long as I remember that's what I wanted to do I used to um, you know when I was little whenever something weird or upsetting would happen I would just imagine uh, it like a scene from a musical <laughs> so that was always fun <laughs> um, so yeah I feel like I've been making this autobiographical film sort of my whole life um so it's nice that it's done and out in the world now yeah I bet it's it's nice to finish those big projects finally and just be like you know what I can wash my hands of it and move on with my life exactly yeah (laughs) allow the creativity to go into other avenues I was definitely also one of those kids that like one of my favorite things to do was uh ride in the car no matter where we were going if we were like going to the grocery store if we on a road trip ride in the car and I would always have my headphones on and just turn on like sad music even if I wasn't sad and like lay my head against the window and pretend I was in a sad music video (laughs) (laughs) 
just I, there's just something about pretending that you're in a movie that helps make everything around you feel so much better <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. uh and i also uh it's, i've always wanted to talk to you because of your your background coming from russia um and my family my mom's side of the family is from I mean, years and years back, not not to bring not to bring current politics into it. Uh, years and years back, my my mom's side of the family is all from Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, and it's there's a very large Russian population in Seattle, and there's a um, it's it's such a a strong culture, and it's it's a culture that you no matter how hard because my 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 great grandma tried to erase as much as she could when they came over because they came over in the early 1900s when they were chased out uh, for being Jewish and so when they got here she just there was there was no Yiddish spoken there was no uh, Russian spoken there was no nothing it was English all their names sounded English it was just as as assimilated as possible I don't blame (laughs) I feel like that's what my mom and I did too yeah so uh, what was what was that experience like having to come over and and force that assimilation? It was wonderful. I mean, my my personal story is that like I both my mom and I like really wanted to come here and we're really over Russia in every respect. <laughs> so assimilation was actually I mean, it was challenging in the sense that, you know, it's a lot of work and learning a new language is a lot of work and figuring out all of those cultural nuances is a lot of work but it's like it's a work that we both were really excited to do because we really wanted to be here and sort of leave Russia as far behind as possible (laughs) it's it's so Um, funny I'm with your great great grandma (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting to me because I mean growing up in that environment like I don't remember hearing anything good about the motherland at all yeah um and then i i've listened to some podcasts about russia from decades and decades and decades ago back when it was an empire and like listening to all of the amazing things that it did sitting there just being like i i have a hard time believing this and just like i don't i don't know it's it's such a it's so far removed from anything that i could know and so i just have all these stories to kind of go on and um things like fiddler on the roof and and stuff like (laughs) that and just like well apparently all of russia looks like that in my mind just (laughs) yeah i mean it's all about your individual experience right and how Mm -hmm. it colors how you perceive things i mean we had really bad experiences there so that's Mm -hmm. what that's what we remember i'm sure there's people who would disagree or say like oh I had a lovely life in Moscow, but that's not that's not, that's not my story. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and so, but other than that, you're you're a very creative person, and you're constantly making. Uh, I almost said making content. That's like you're not I making content. You're making true. actual art. <laughs> no, but you know we all use that terminology now. I know it's just it's too ingrained in me. Um, but I mean, I didn't even know what web series were really uh, when I heard about Capitol Hill. Um, for for those who aren't from Seattle and don't understand um, the the breadth of the arts that Seattle has, could you uh, explain to the audience a little bit about what Capitol Hill the series was about and how it came to be? Yeah, so Capitol Hill series. Um was inspired um, by my deep love of all kinds of weird things like uh, 70s American television shows like Dynasty and Love Boat and Murder, She Wrote and all of that stuff. Um, And also anime and like cartoons and horror and um, drag. So um, my collaborator Waxy Moon and I were talking about for a while like what it would be like to make sort of a telenovela with our friends and uh, what characters we would be creating. Um, and for a while, it kind of seemed 
you know, just like a fantasy, purely a fantasy. And then at one point I became like a regular contributor for Huffington Post. So I realized it's like, okay, I have this instant access to a really large audience. Mm -hmm. So if I do make something and post there, like I can actually, you know, share it with a lot of people. So we decided to do it and I wrote it, like I said, really inspired by um, a lot of those like television conventions from the 70s and 80s because they're really those shows were structured in a really different way than mm. he is now you know like it, everything the music cues just the way scenes would work you know you kind of anticipate the commercial breaks all of that stuff so I, I just kind of meticulously followed that structure but made it super fucked up and gay and <laughs> <laughs> like gender <laughs> confused and um it was super fun so a lot of a lot of my um my people here in seattle like i started making films not in the film community but like i was more part of theater community and cabaret community and drag and burlesque and um performance art so those were my people so those were my performers most of them um on capitol hill um and then some of them ended up going on Drag Race, which really, you know, made our show sort of more interesting to a whole new audience. But, and I guess the other thing about Capitol Hill is that it has nothing to do with actual Capitol Hill. <laughs> <laughs> like the Capitol Hill neighborhood in Seattle, uh, you know, sort of a gay grungy neighborhood. Um, it, it's not really, a lot of the characters from that neighborhood are in the film, but the way that the show is presented, it's very sort of glamorous and cartoonish and over the top and colorful. Um, yeah, I remember it, when I moved to the Hill, I was like, I need to watch this because maybe it could like help me kind of figure out what the culture on the Hill is like. And then I was watching it, I was like, this, is, this is not my experience of Capitol Hill so far. No, no. <laughs> but we love to mess with people, so like, Ben de la Creme would present episodes and say it's a documentary and some people <laughs> would actually complain and like they took it so seriously mm -hmm. they're like this is not a documentary I'm like no shit <laughs> like, <laughs> but I, I love the title Capitol Hill because um, a lot of the again again uh, like a lot of those 70s soap operas they would have a name of a place and like a very yeah. generic name of a place that could be anywhere you know and Capitol Hill sounds like it could be anywhere. <laughs> like it be... Literally every city has a Capitol Hill, yeah. Yeah, so um, I just love that because it's super generic, but also sort of makes fun or references our, our Seattle mm -hmm. Capitol Hill. Yeah, it's a very interesting area in Seattle. I uh, grew up, excuse me. <laughs> These allergies are like, I've never coughed from allergies before. I took COVID tests. I've done everything it's oh i know the worst um i also think it's because we've all been like masked for two years that all of a sudden we're exposed yeah. to allergies again and everyone's just dying um yeah. but no uh it's a it's a really cool area i grew up about 20 minutes north of seattle and i remember being a little kid and like the the major hospital in seattle is on the top of capitol hill and so if we had to like go to the doctor or something we'd be like driving up uh olive and just like going up there going past the park and my mom would be we would be little kids in the back seat and my mom would be like don't look out the windows that's where the weird people are <laughs> and then like okay. growing up <laughs> it was right <laughs> it was and then i grew up and was one of those weird people yeah but i mean even by the time i got there uh i moved on to the hill 20 2016 i think or late 2015 um <clears throat> and even by that time I was it was already pretty gentrified and like there were like 20 Starbucks on the hill and like Dix was already taking credit cards <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like, it's gotten through those um waves before it's so funny I was reading there's an amazing book called gay seattle that like covers all of seattle history going back to like you know early settlement days and um there's a chapter on like 
I think late 70s, early 80s, where it was going through sort of a similar gentrification thing. And you read that chapter and it's like something that's, you could quote it and people would think that it's today. Like it's yeah. the same exact thing. It's just funny how cities just sort of go through the same cycle over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, um, for people who've never been to Seattle, it's, it has, there's a university up there. There's, that's where all the gay bars are. There's a beautiful, huge park. Um, but it's kind of this like mishmash, uh, anymore. It's this weird mishmash of like people who work at Amazon plus the like artsy people who made the people want to move up there because, Ooh, we want to be cool and live with the artsy people. Um, and still like, uh, Julia's is up there and you have all the fun like celebrity impersonation drag and just random people wandering around with brightly colored hair and really cool outfits and just uh, right next to all of the business people <laughs> who are going to work at Google downtown or something so it's it's such a it, it was such an interesting place to live for a couple of years and just uh, soak up that it's I mean it's the definition of the word metropolitan like it's there's just so much going on there all the time yeah there's a lot of culture and arts in Seattle for sure it's something I honestly miss it's weird saying this considering I'm in New York and New York is like considered the like pinnacle of theater world USA but I miss being in Seattle where theater is a little less stuffy Mm-hmm. Um, and you have it's a lot more regional a lot more community theater there's a lot more um, independent theater happening so you get a lot more ideas and uh, the creativity has a chance to kind of blossom there a little bit more mm-hmm. plus the audiences are tougher <laughs> <laughs> tougher in New tougher, York I think so yeah Seattleites are very hard to impress <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's true. And like in general, like Seattle um, has so many really great artists and on theater and in film. And uh, and what makes it a lot of times different is that people here, like people who stay here, they know they're not going to get famous or rich or something. So like mm-hmm. there's a lot of really good, good artists who are just in it for the art, you know? Yeah. Um, versus like if you go to LA, a lot of, people who want to be actors in LA just want to be famous <laughs> yeah. or they, they want that other part of you know being an actor versus like I just love being on stage or I love acting. yeah absolutely so. yeah that's the I did a lot of community theater when I was in Seattle um, like Seattle Gerber and Sullivan Society and things like that and just the the joy of getting to make theater and like yeah you want to sell tickets but you're also not trying to like be the biggest star in Seattle no one no one thinks that you're gonna move to Seattle and suddenly make a big internationally you're just there because you love the project and you love the art and you want to make it as as it possibly can be yeah Um, and that was that was also my experience of drag uh there especially when you get to people like Bendela Krem um who are are doing it because they just love that creation of a world and like just having a gosh darn fun time with it instead of like I gotta make this money I gotta make this money because that all comes later yeah and it's all multifaceted you know like um Ben de la Creme and Jinx Monsoon and um a lot of the drag artists like that's what I love Mm -hmm. um and I mean (laughs) not to not to try to bring drama up but you also uh had Robbie Turner on love Robbie yeah Robbie's amazing it was such a weird situation that happened and now she's just kind of dropped off the face of the planet but uh she was so enjoyable on your show and she was so uh fun to watch and uh, it was wonderful and Robbie is a really kind um wonderful person um it was really sad to see how you know how quickly people turn (laughs) like somebody has a mental breakdown and people just turn and turn into this like really scary mom online and i um yeah just really scary to see that but 
yeah, I don't know what's going on. I haven't seen Robbie in a long time. I don't think anyone has. I, 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 I every love- once in a while, my friends are like, "What happened to her? <laughs> like, is she is she alive? Like, what's going on?" I would love to work. I mean, I would work with Robbie in a second. It's like, such a amazing performer, so fun to work with. It, it, you know, at least in in the film capacity, it was like wonderful. Yeah. Um. So I know. Just circling back to Potato real quickly, um, I know you've been working on that project for a really long time. When did that start? Like, when did you actually start, like, sitting down and, like, planning it? Because I know it's kind of been yeah. for a long time. I mean, I wrote the script about eight years ago, um, and then it went through changes. It went through different, like, producers and budgets and things, you know, kept falling through. Um and eventually I got a small grant and I was able to make a short documentary version of my story and a short VR version. And those projects were really, uh, really helpful because Little Potato, the short documentary, premiered at South by won like an Oscar qualifying jury prize and it won so many awards around the world. So it really raised the profile of the project and allowed me to talk about the future and tell people like, hey, this is, if you like the story, I actually, you know, the goal from the beginning was to make a, a narrative feature. So that was really helpful. And then eventually I got a Creative Capital grant, which is an amazing New York-based um, granting organization. And they they really helped. Like that was the first chunk of funding that I had for the feature. And that's when we knew that we could start sort of planning it and casting and that's awesome. I I honestly personally didn't know how many steps there are to getting a film like actually to the point of being made. <clears throat> uh, I think I think a lot of us just kind of see these the the big studio films that are just kind of like we assume are just like a writer pitches a story and the studio's like, yeah, that one, go for it. When really they're about like 500 million steps in between an idea and even the pitching stage, let alone actually having it made, including doing shorter versions and going to film festivals. And um, I think it even more so lately, as we are coming out of the pandemic, seeing a lot more independent films getting a chance to be seen on a larger uh, platform because the big studios weren't able to do as much during those years um, has been really cool to see and it's really highlighted how much work goes into filmmaking and it's very impressive <laughs> yeah I mean the you know I don't know if you saw the everything everywhere at once like that's a really beautiful it's on my list I'm so desperate to see it like a beautiful indie success story in the sense that like it you know, it's doing so well in theaters right now. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like, I can see them having real trouble pitch, pitching that as because it's truly an indie, like a very esoteric idea for a film. Mm-hmm. And it really works and audiences are loving it. And so hopefully, you know, whenever that happens, you hope that the studios will be more excited to see yeah. new ideas, yeah. And taking risks instead of yet another 20 Marvel movies. I mean, exactly. I'm, I'm a Marvel slut myself, but it's also, yeah, but you, you can variety. only take so much of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you want variety. I love Marvel, but like, I, I, I've definitely lost track of them at this point. <laughs> like I don't, I need to catch up. I, <laughs> I, I like to think that every like 10 years, or I guess not 10 years, every like two to three years, I like catch up. Like, I don't watch anything for two to three years, and then I wait for it all to hit Disney+. Plus. I'm like, okay, I'll watch everything that came out. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what's, your, what's your next project? What, what are you looking forward to uh, working on? Yeah, I'm working, I'm writing a script based on, uh, I optioned the series of memoirs by a friend of mine, and it's also a true story, a very gay story, and a very, very bizarre interesting funny scary stories so like it has all uh you know i kind of like the the juxtaposition of comedy and like drama tragedy and horror Mm -hmm. even and so that's definitely in that direction and i i also really want to do horror so that's something that i'm 
looking to explore more. I Hopefully mean, I, third season of Capitol Hill someday. <laughs> someday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I I definitely see horror fitting into your your canon because uh, your work is so campy and it's so... Um, I don't know where I was going with that. But one thing I've enjoyed learning recently is I've been doing kind of a deep dive honestly, thanks to the Boulets, into how queer horror is. Um, and I think it'd be cool to see more queer artists working in that genre instead of straight people just injecting a little bit of queerness here and there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so when, when I asked you to be on the podcast, uh, I did uh, ask you to prepare a little bit um, and bring a person that you would like to teach me about because I'm trying to be a little bit more mindful of a platform that I have. Um, so I was just wondering uh, who, what queer person in history would you like to tell me about? I mean, honestly, I don't know enough about this person either and I should research him more, but it's definitely somebody I'm really interested in sort of diving in as mm -hmm. uh, Tchaikovsky, you know, because he's mm. also a Russian, um, Russian composer who's like changed the world of music and is one of the most recognizable um, mm -hmm. voices of Russian music, but um, something that Russia, Russian government doesn't want, you know, people to know or be taught is that, you know, he was gay and he, he had a really tragic life mm. um, trying to you know, survive as a gay person in Russia in those days and being closeted. And um, I believe he was in love with his either cousin or somebody. Yeah, there was somebody that he was really in love with, but could not, you know, it's, it yeah, it was a rough life. And his music is so beautiful. And like, <clears throat> I feel like everybody loves it, you know. Oh, yeah. Who, who doesn't love the Nutcracker? But my, yeah. that's one of my favorite things about him. So my my degrees are in opera. Um, and I mean, Tchaikovsky, someone's going to correct me, but I'm pretty sure Tchaikovsky didn't write any operas, but he wrote numerous ballets. Yeah. Um, the best ballets ever written. Um, but he very famously hated the Nutcracker because he thought it wasn't, it wasn't enough of his like himself in the work um he thought it was too french oh um, interesting which, which to be fair in that time period everything was french both like everywhere in the world everyone was trying to be french russia england germany everyone just wanted to be french um and so the music had that kind of very french frilly uh european style to it um versus some of his others like Swan Lake where he was mm -hmm. able to able to kind of explore some of those more um Russian musical ideas uh and use some some more of his own thoughts in it um yeah Russian music and Russian especially Russian operas oh some of my favorite <laughs> yeah the music the classical music is so good it's... Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I did. I wasn't aware of that, you know. And that's what you just were talking about how he perceived the Nutcracker, which is funny because it, it sounds so distinct to me. Like I it is. Never, it really like, is. Oh, oh, he's just trying to copy, you know, like the or like it feels so him. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is it doesn't really sound that French. Like it's sure it has some like European tempos and like like dance types but it really doesn't sound specifically French so it, it's just funny to me that I mean we're artists we get in our own heads so much yeah and totally and how we perceive our own stuff is so different mm -hmm. from what people are gonna get out of it sometimes right which is like a fun and scary thing right it's mm -hmm. like zero control over what people I, are gonna take away <laughs> right well and i i didn't i mean i didn't even know that he was gay uh i don't think until you brought it up because it's not really talked about in music history courses you just kind of like here's the composer here's their music here's their dates and that's just kind of it and anything on top of that you just have to kind of learn on your own and i think it's such a disservice to 
especially artists to discount their queerness because it does inform their art so intensely. Especially, you know, especially back in that day when it was mm -hmm. such a horrible sort of death sentence for a person to like not experience love, not experience, you know, um, acceptance and intimacy in the same way that most people do. So yeah, you, you can't ignore that. I mean, I hope that, you know, when Putin finally croaks and maybe things eventually open up in Russia, they make like a really good biopic of Tchaikovsky that's faithful to yeah. you know, his life. Well, and even people like later on, you have Shostakovich who was threatened by the Russian government because his music was exposing them somehow, which I always find very funny because it's like, there's there are no words. It's just instruments on stage playing music. So you're reading into this. Yeah, sure, there may have had things in mind while they were writing it, but it's just these government officials being like, you are being too anti-Russia with this quartet. How dare you? <laughs> like, what? What? I don't get it. And so he had to leave the country because he was being threatened by them. And it's it's insane to me that, that music, especially non- lyric music so just instrumental music can have that that kind of effect on people yeah that's that's fascinating um i mean to be fair he did he later in life once he moved to america his music was very pointed uh and he purposefully made a lot of his stuff um harder to listen to and and a lot more um angry but <laughs> <laughs> I'd be angry too if I had to leave yeah. my home. <laughs> but Tchaikovsky, I don't think ever left. I think he was he was there no. his whole life. No, yeah, no, he yeah, he died there. I can't I can't imagine having to create art, even even in lesser circumstances, thinking about like court musicians and court composers in England back in the 16, 1700s, I can't even imagine having your art being taken and being like, okay, you can make art and you can compose, but you can only do it if the royal person at the time enjoys it. If they don't, you could die. <laughs> it, yeah, that's a very strange... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I, I wouldn't be able to do anything because my art is such an expression of who I am. Like, I would, I, yeah, I wouldn't be able to, to stay in those parameters. <laughs> yeah, no, we're very lucky to be where we are when we are because it's, I feel like it's sort of an anomaly in the human history. Most of the time, people are trying to control what other people create in some way or another. Yeah, I mean, even if it's just, even if it's just funding. Uh, it's yeah. it's easier now to find funding opportunities than it ever has been, and it's still difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, but yeah. Um, what uh, on that note? What is your what is something that you wish you could change about the the film industry right now? Oh my god. So <laughs> I mean, really, one thing I want to wish uh, that they would do is like call me up and give me money. Beat <laughs> Hollywood, you heard it straight from his mouth. Let's do number, this. Yeah, I hope they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you, uh, you, you really do all of the parts of the filmmaking. You are the writer, director, producer, editor. You're just kind of the jack of all trades. Yeah, and I used to shoot everything myself too. And then um, a few years ago, I met Vincent Pierce, who's been my um, DP, who's also an amazing director, producer in his own right, but he works as a DP with me, and it's been really wonderful. Um, but yeah, I think I, I just had to, you know, in the beginning, because it's like you either wait for permission to make something or you 
hope somehow like somebody's gonna want to work with you, you or, or you just do it yourself so i just did everything myself i would you know hold the mic set up the camera set up the lights <laughs> every pretty much every aspect of it i mean you're definitely not the kind of person to wait for people's permission to do things no i mean and it's it, i i'm lucky in the sense that like i was drawn to really um kind of avant-garde stylized aesthetic anyway so it's you know if, if i wasn't i was never aiming to make like hyper realistic you know movies or like i wasn't trying to make a taxi driver or anything like that so you can kind of embrace the fact that it's low budget and mm-hmm. um and sort of harking back to early queer cinema and like in the 90s a lot of the filmmakers are really scrappy you know like Gregoraki's films or Derek Jarman's films like they're all they're scrappy mm-hmm. so that John Waters of course like even decades yeah. earlier um <clears throat> so like looking back at them was definitely inspiring like even if I didn't necessarily want to make movies like their movies or you know tell the same stories but I was just inspired by the fact that they were just making stuff on their own terms and didn't care that it didn't look like a Hollywood movie <laughs> yeah and yet somehow it turned into a Hollywood movie and now everyone has seen it yeah and uh potato is very um I I love the like it's very how do I put this I love movies that are very stream of consciousness that it's very like it takes place as you would like think through your life. So it's not super linear. It's just kind of Mm -hmm. all these mishmashes of no pun intended of um, points in your life that just kind of relate to each other in some way, shape or form. Um, And I, one of my favorite parts was uh, near the beginning where uh, you're in school and some or potatoes in school and someone mentions that you need to invite Jesus in and then all of a sudden <laughs> Jesus is just there and he has to take him home and deal with him at home all the time <laughs> it's just it's such a little kid thing to think and it's I love that the logic was followed and that it was just like you know what this is where we're going with it because that makes sense yeah, it's definitely my goal, like for for the Russian half of the film, to um, capture like a mindset of a child and and how a child sort of remembers things too, because mm-hmm. you know it's very heightened and um, but also sort of matter of factly. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, Jesus, sure, <laughs> come live with me. <laughs> yeah, mom will never see him, but he'll be right there, <laughs> paying attention when he wants to. <laughs> What was the hardest part of filming that movie? Like in the actual filming of it, what was what was the part that you found the most challenging? I mean, I have to say, like filming it wasn't challenging. It was really, really fun. Like raising money for it and planning and scheduling, you know, all of the sort of administrative or behind the scenes organizing part of it that's always hard for film and you just kind of have to get through it in order to get to the set and then you can enjoy yourself but like being on set and working on set is super fun for me and even when things go awry like it's kind of a fun challenge like it always feels to me it feels like an adventure to me like a really fun adventure and figuring out how to you know get out of problems that you run into like that 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 part doesn't stress me out or um upset me it's the it's all of the stuff to build up to it like especially mostly raising money <laughs> like, that part i don't like the daily struggle yeah has your has your family seen it well my family is pretty small like my mom is pretty much my you know my only family so she she's seen it she loves it she saw it in France with like an audience of 1200 people and they gave her a standing ovation because they, wow. they um, somebody mentioned that she's in an audience. So she, she had an amazing experience. Um, my step uh, stepsister, so my stepfather's daughter, she 
has seen it several times and is very supportive. And we chat about my stepfather all the time and how crazy he was. And, um, but yeah, but other than that, it's like a lot of the people in it are either, you know, dead or in Russia or... <laughs> so. I mean, I guess that makes it a little easier to, to put uh, something autobiographical into the world. Oh, totally. I mean, not to be... Yeah, <laughs> not to be glad, <laughs> but it's always easier to talk about dead people. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. There have been times where I've like wanted to do things where it's a little bit more self-revealing in the public eye, and then I'm like, oh, but like my entire family would see this, and maybe it's not the time to bring these things up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, in that sense, I was lucky, definitely. I don't, I don't have, like, a big family, and I don't have to worry about <laughs> what people think. <laughs> like, I'm pretty open with my mom about everything, so mm-hmm. other than that, I don't care, you know? Well, and on top of that, a mom who clearly has been very supportive of you from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a huge difference, of course, yeah. 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 Uh what um what i haven't asked this question in a very long time on this podcast but what advice would you give to people not only people who uh might want to get into the film industry um but also just to queer people nowadays what what are some things that you wish you had known earlier oh gosh i mean it's so hard for me to like understand what um what being gay is like right now for like younger folks because to me it seems like they have no problems I'm just like jealous (laughs) you know what I mean like here's 12 bitches (laughs) right that's what I think of them because it's like I like all of the things that they have like I didn't I didn't have so like my I just you know I, I feel like they should read their history and appreciate that this is like a blip in time that we have our rights, like literally a tiny blip in time in thousands of years <laughs> that yeah. we have our rights and like just be vigilant and also like appreciate people who work so hard to get us here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I just have so much respect for like older, you know, like the elderly in our community, the elder, you know, gay men, lesbians, trans people who have, been around for much longer like those are my heroes because it's like how did you survive you know (laughs) like how did you survive and how did you stay strong enough to build this world for us where we don't have to worry about so many things that they have to worry about like yeah absolutely I mean at least in, in large parts of the world not everywhere obviously but yeah yeah I was literally just watching a video where someone said um those times in your life when you were growing up and you were just surviving uh every and everyone else was just living it's not that you're behind everyone else it's that you had to be in survival mode for so long that mm-hmm. now you're just finally getting to that point that everyone was at back when they were starting and so thinking about the generations of queer people that have come before us that have only been in survival mode and now we're finally seeing the like uh, some of the the start of the the just being able to live from the beginning um it definitely is both very encouraging but also very uh as as a as a hurt gay man it's also very angering sometimes because it's just like well why did i get that <laughs> i know i mean I, i'm i'm sure you you have those thoughts to like see you know in the news you'll see like oh like a gay cheerleader and a football player go on the prom you know go to the prom together like that's just not even conceivable for, yeah for, absolutely not it's not even conceivable and so like to, to and it's like oh and everybody supports them and nobody cares and it's like town or like so and so went to drag like, to prom and you're like what yeah it's <laughs> i have just, to wear a tux <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I didn't go to my prom because I like I couldn't be out but I also didn't want to lie like I didn't want to pretend to have a girlfriend so I was mm-hmm. just 
I remember I was so mad. I just like was angry <laughs> all the time. I, I remember my senior prom, I wore like really fancy like white bow tie and vest and like tails because that was as close as I could get to something that felt gay to me but was still men's clothing um and I was homeschooled so like everyone was kind of a little bit weird but like it like definitely let me (laughs) be slightly more gay but at the (laughs) same time yeah I was still I wouldn't come out for another seven years after that so it's uh I think that's it's an important thing to remember even even in our generation thinking about generations 10 20 30 years ago who were uh nowhere near where we even were and I can't imagine how awful that was yeah and so when you see someone who's just like 50 or 60 finally coming out it makes sense because like absolutely yeah and I mean I can imagine it really well because like growing up in Russia we were sort of stuck 50 years ago and this was before the internet so like I didn't have access to um, what the rest of the world was like and so I definitely I think that's why I, I relate to like older like my friends tend to be like gay men versus like I don't I don't have any like young gay male friends because I just like I can't relate to their well I mean experience you know I didn't YouTube didn't exist until I was almost out of high school and so kids nowadays can get on YouTube and find all sorts of people's stories about coming out and like what what it's like for them to be queer in different in different ways shapes and forms when I was growing up we had nothing (laughs) we had books but those books were in like parts of the library that you could not go to without someone mentioning to your parents why is your kid over there exactly yeah (laughs) no absolutely and yeah and you know and it's also everywhere in the media now like there's so many Mm -hmm. openly gay people so many shows and I mean you can't really I feel like there's not no show that doesn't have some kind of LGBT character and the yeah. when I you know I just remember being high school age and just being so obsessed like you know reading glad news reading all of the like advocate and like oh my god this person this celebrity who's not even that famous might be gay like that was such a big deal yeah. or like this movie might have a supporting character that's like in it for one second but they you know they might be lesbian like that was such a exciting thing and now it's just yeah. not a it's a non- I remember one day uh because you know how like I don't think they still do this but like how magazines would just like randomly like blanket a, a neighborhood and just like free editions for a while mm. just so you could kind of like get hooked on it and then you would start buying it uh-huh. I remember for a while our house started getting it was when uh, Out Magazine first started and then they, the Advocate also had a magazine that they would come together and we started getting it just randomly. I don't know why it scared me for a while because I was like did I click something like <laughs> did right. I not clear my search history fast enough like do they know something mm-hmm. um, and so I would like take those and like hide them in my room and instead of like like porn under my mattress it was like out magazine (laughs) under my mattress (laughs) because that was my like one thing that I could do that that connected me with the community I mean other than like looking at random like penis enlargement ads on AOL like (laughs) like that was really my only connection to to anything gay in the like late 90s early 2000s yeah no I believe it in Russia I would save like the underwear packages that yes <laughs> that yes closest to porn I yes absolutely like oh we have to go buy new new school clothes oh darn uh, uh mom I need some new underwear I'm gonna go look at the underwear <laughs> section for a second okay have fun wow <laughs> 
Yep. Or just like purposefully being like, I need to get to the other side of the department store. Oh no, I have to walk past the underwear section. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, must be so nice now. (laughs) I know. I know. But, um, well, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, where can people find you online? So I'm on Instagram under Potato Hurley, and um, the movie is out on DVD now. Potato Dreams of America. It's out on DVD. It's also on VOD, so like Apple TV and Amazon and Voodoo and all of those things. And I think we're gonna be streaming soon. I'm not sure where yet and yeah and capitol hill is just free online you can just search capitol hill series and it will come up all over youtube there's two, <laughs> two seasons of it and it's insane hopefully a third <laughs> okay a third someday yeah <laughs> i'll gladly put on drag and be the like weird cousin from new york that zooms in during the <laughs> pandemic hi everyone <laughs> yes yes please (laughs) all right well thank you so much and uh we will see you later bye thank you bye yeah thank you for listening to yeah but with vivian gabor tune in next week same place 